at the way that the Apostle Paul started out each and every one of his epistles with that salutation. And the reason that he could issue that salutation, the reason he could issue that greeting to each one of the churches is because of the amazing grace that we have in Christ and that peace that passes understanding that God, that God gives. And the reason for that grace and the reason for that peace is all because of Calvary. The next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Calvary. We're going to be taking a, a look through the death of our Lord on Golgotha's hill. But the reason that I can stand here and tell you that God's grace is offered, that God's peace is offered, is because of the complete and finished work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. I don't worry this morning whether or not that story is true. I know that story is true. It is accurate. Don't, I don't worry about whether it's true or not. What I do wonder about, what I do worry about, is why don't more people believe in that old, old story? Why more people don't by faith trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? When salvation is so simple, all the work has been accomplished, and it was accomplished on the cross. The payment has been made. Why, why doesn't more people, by faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? We know the gladness, we know the joy that comes from knowing Christ. We know the glory that awaits us. Amen? We don't have that worry. We don't have that concern. One of these days, one of these days, we know that our faith is going to become sight. One of these days, we are no longer going to be walking by faith. We're going to be walking by sight as we walk on streets of gold, as we enjoy all the splendors, all the glories, all the wonders of heaven. But there's the other side of that. And what I do worry about, what I do wonder about, are those who have rejected that grace, that mercy, that salvation. And one of, day, one of these days, their faith that there is no God. See, it actually, in my opinion, it takes more faith to not believe in God, to, to not believe there's a God, than it does to believe there's a God. And one of, the, one of these days, their belief that there's not a God is going to be turned into absolute horror when they realize that there was a God, that He loved them, that He paid the debt of sin they owed, yet they have rejected that salvation that God offers so freely. How horrible, how terrible that's going to be the day they realize for all eternity the hopelessness, the fear that's going to accompany their eternity. So that's why we need to pray, folks. Pray for our loved ones. Pray for our friends. And make sure they understand what God's Word says. Faith comes by hearing 
And again, I want to emphasize, it's why it's so important that we share the gospel with our friends, with our loved ones. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, it is imperative that we share that gospel because that is the power of God into salvation. That's the thing. That's the message that's going to reach their hearts, that's going to change their, their lives as the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. See, I believe that story to be true, and, and one of the reasons I believe it to be true, and we've talked about this numerous times, is the consistency of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, the consistency of Scripture. How, the, how from the beginning to the end, there is a glorious thread that runs all through Scripture. And that thread, if you could take it and start pulling it, it runs all the way through each book of the Bible as it presents Christ to us. Uh, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. And the tapestry that that single thread weaves is a picture of God's love and God's mercy. And it is all consistent from beginning to end as it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that consistency. It is that story that just proves itself true, that convinces me that God's word is true. It's accurate. We can stand on it. We can believe it, that we study it. And God is faithful to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of God's word. And nowhere is this more evident than in the Passover. Or, or, well, in the Passover, that's it. We're going to get there too. But in the triumphant entry, when Christ rides into Jerusalem. Today is Palm Sunday. Today uh, marks the, the day that Christ fulfills Scripture. Zechariah 9 9 uh, fulfills that Scripture where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And we can rejoice that that scripture was fulfilled. But I'm here to tell you, there's even more to this scripture. I mean, it's the fact that this prophecy was fulfilled. And the nation of Israel, the, the, he had proven himself, as we talked about in Sunday school, over and over and over again that he was Israel's Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was the one who came to, to seek and to save that which was lost. He was the fulfillment of all God's Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. This was just another indication. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they should have seen him when he came riding in, and they should have said, He's the one. You couple that with all the miracles when you make the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. All of those things come together. They even said he teaches like no one's ever taught before. They were mesmerized by his teaching, by his truth, yet they still rejected him. Well, when he rides in to Jerusalem, something was taking place that just causes us, which should cause our hearts to be thrilled. It, it shows us just how consistent Scripture is because something was happening on that day. Now, we're going to go over material this morning that some of you have heard many, many, many times. But folks, I'm here to tell you, it does not get old. These truths never get old. 
As a matter of fact, somebody could preach to me every single day that Jesus saves. <clears throat> that truth will never, ever get old. That heaven is my home, that the gift of eternal life is mine through Christ, that message will never, ever get old. And I can hear it over and over and over again. And I hope what we teach and look at this morning gives you a greater appreciation of Palm Sunday, what was happening as Christ rode in to Jerusalem on that day. A couple of verses I want us to keep in mind as we get into this study. I want you to keep Isaiah 53 in mind. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 7. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. Keep that scripture in mind. As a lamb before the shearers dumb. As a lamb before the slaughter. Keep that in mind. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now John chapter 1. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Verse 29, John chapter 1, verse 29. And the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, I read that, and I know that I cannot read it with all the excitement that John must have felt. Can you imagine John seeing the Lord Jesus Christ coming toward him? Can you imagine the excitement, the joy, the thrill that he must have felt in his heart when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now you know he had to have been excited about it. You know he had to be overjoyed. You know he had to be thrilled. Because my, oh my, when he's first introduced to the Lord Jesus, when Mary comes in to Elizabeth, and Mary just greets Elizabeth, what does John in Elizabeth's womb do? Leaps for joy. So you can imagine that if he's going to leap for joy in the womb with a realization that when Mary, great with child, greets Elizabeth, John in the womb hears her voice and he leaps, so don't tell me that a baby's not alive. 
that's a whole nother sermon. But anyway, John leaps for joy. So if that's the case, and I believe it is, then in John 1, when he sees him coming and he's able to declare, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How excited, how wonderful that must have been. One more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So the thing I want you to keep in mind this morning is Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God without blemish, that Jesus Christ is our Passover. And you know the story. We're going to get into it here in a second. But you know the story, how the death angel passed over the houses that had the blood sprinkled on the doorpost and over the, the door. By the way, which represents a cross. So the blood was, was sprinkled there on the doorpost. So when the death angel passed over, when he saw the blood, that family was spared. We know the story. Matter of fact, go ahead and turn there with me. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. And as you do so, remember Christ is our Passover, that Christ is the Lamb of God without blemish. Now how in the world does that tie into Christ coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? But Exodus chapter 12 Start with verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of, of the year to you. Now this, this is significant because this is Nisan, the month of Nisan or Abib. It was called two different things, but Nisan. And so this is going to be the month that you start celebrating as the first month of the year because you're coming out of bondage, you're coming out of tyranny, you are being delivered from slavery, and this day is the day that you are to commemorate. On this day and this month, you are, you are to commemorate as the first day and celebrate this month as the first month of the year, for it represents the month that you came out of slavery. By the way, it's on this day also, 40 years later, that they cross over Jordan into the Promised Land. It took them 40 years to get there, but this date is significant. This date is significant. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, now, by this time, uh, the ten plagues have taken place. Finally, the Pharaoh has said, go, just, just go. 
course, he's about to change his mind. These ten plagues have taken place. The ten plagues were actually judgments against the ten different gods that Egypt worshipped. You ever wonder why they were ten plagues? Because Egypt worshipped ten gods. And God says, I'm going to show you who the true God is. And one by one, God showed Egypt who the true God of heaven is as he made a mockery of all of Egypt's other, other gods. And so Pharaoh has finally just said, go, go, just get out of here. Like I say, he's going to change his mind. And so God speaks to Aaron and Moses, and he's preparing them for uh, the exodus, for them to, to get out of there. And he's also going to institute what? The Passover. Passover indicating the, when the angel, the death angel, goes uh, through the land, and when he sees the blood, the death angel will not take the firstborn. So verse, verse 2, this, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take unto them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. A, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without what? Blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Or you separate the sheep from the goats what he's talking about there and you shall keep it up until the 14th day so on the 10th day of Nisan you choose your lamb on the 14th day of Nisan you prepare it for the slaughter at sundown because at sundown in the Hebrew timing that becomes what day the 15th which would be Passover. So on the 10th day, you pick your lamb. On the 14th, you prepare your lamb for the slaughter. And by the way, what time were they to slaughter the lamb? Let me give you a hint. 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock is what time they were to slaughter the lamb. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the month, the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house, wherein they shall eat it. So you put it on this side, you put it on this side, and you put it above. What do you think that's a type of? What do you think that's a picture of? The cross. Absolutely, the cross. And they shall eat the flesh in that night. You roast it with fire. Fire all through the scripture stands for judgment. They're to get the picture that this sacrificial lamb is to be uh, representing judgment 
that fire, you roast it, and you roast it completely. You don't leave anything of it. You roast it. Judgment is to be on that lamb that you've selected in totality. You shall eat the flesh in the night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread, unleavened leaven representing sin, unleavened representing no sin, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Why do you think bitter herbs? Because, folks, this roasting was not to be enjoyed. It was not something you sat down at and went, oh, boy, let's dig in. Let's really enjoy this meal. It was something that they were to consume with their shoes on, their bags packed, and their attitude were ready to go. What we are observing here is the Passover. And by the way, they were still in Egypt. And, and Moses, uh, the Lord's going to tell Moses, you, you make sure that they are ready to go with every aspect of, of their lives ready to skedaddle and leave. So as they were packing, as they were preparing, what were they demonstrating? Faith. They were demonstrating an enormous amount of faith because this was going on the day before because the next day they're going to be gone. So as they're observing this Passover, they are observing, they are demonstrating their faith. The bitter herb shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, not nor sodden with all, uh, all with water. Don't, you don't boil it. Don't boil it. Hey, boiling it might have made it more tender. It wasn't to be boiled. It was to be roasted. It was to be exposed to fire. Fire representing judgment because that's exactly what Christ is going to suffer on Calvary's cross. Eat it not raw nor sodden all with water, but roast with fire his head, with his legs, and with the putants thereof, every part of it. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You are about to be released from bondage. God has heard your prayers. That prayer is about to be answered. And you're to be ready to go. Verse 12, And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it in a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by the ordinance forever. That was the commandment concerning the Passover. 
Now let me ask you a question this morning. And there are so many lessons from this concerning God's saving power. God gave them explicit instructions on how they were to protect themselves. And so my question is, what if one of those Jewish families had said, you know, the blood's really not that important. And if we just, well, we have some red dye, what's the, the death angel's not going to know the difference. And we're just going to slap this on and, and it won't make any difference. What would have happened in that family? Would they have seen the death of their firstborn? Absolutely. So you, you can't take those kind of shortcuts. God had given them, do this, and you'll be safe. Oh, you'll be safe. I think that's an important lesson. The second lesson that I think is equally important is those families that were in that house that had followed the instructions of God where the blood was applied, those families were safe and sound. Those families may have been a little fearful, but they still were safe. Those families may have even doubted some and said, well, I've done what I was told to do. Oh, but what if it did? Even if they doubted, were they still safe? They were still safe. Because they were following God's instructions completely. And when the death angel passed through, what happened? Those families that had obeyed God, those Jewish families, they were saved. Those families that did not obey God, the death angel passed passed through. And the firstborn, so the nine, the nine plagues had taken place. The tenth plague, that was the tenth plague. And it was time for them to, to, them to release. It was with that tenth plague that Pharaoh finally said, go, just go. So what's important is we recognize the fact that on the tenth day, the lamb without blemish is selected for the slaughter. On the 14th day, the preparation day, they slaughtered the lamb. And then that evening is when they consumed the Passover meal. And then the, in the daylight of that hour is when they, they departed. Is that clear? Turn with me to John chapter 12. What was going on when our Lord Jesus was riding in to Jerusalem on that day? First of all, as he rode in, he was riding in lowly and on a donkey, not as a conquering king of kings and lord of lords, but as the one who was about to die for the sins of mankind and shed his precious blood. Maybe not what they expected, but it was absolutely what they needed. Before you need a king, you need a savior. 
He was giving up his life to be his Savior. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Before he became their, their conquering king and deliverer, he had to be the lamb slaughtered. This humble Savior of the world was riding in on a donkey to indicate something important. We're going to find out what that was. John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. So if the Passover is Nisan the 15th, six days before the Passover would be what day? The ninth. The ninth. Took me all week to figure that out, but I got it. Six days before the Passover, came to he came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom, the, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was, um, was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment, of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, three times in the ministry of Christ is recorded that his head or his feet were anointed. This was the second time. There's one more time coming that he is going to be anointed in preparation for his funeral, for his death. Verse 4, Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now we know who Judas is, right? We know that his reasoning behind this, well, God's word's so clear. He wants, he wants us to know. Verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. You know, Christ said, haven't I chosen you twelve and one of you as a devil? Judas was not a very nice guy. Then said Jesus, leave her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. And much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for their Jesus' sake only, but they that might see Lazarus also. But that they might see Lazarus also, whom he raised from the dead which was another sign. Remember, you raise the dead, that's a pretty good indication you're exactly who you say you are. You make the blind to see, you make the lame to walk, you make the, the deaf to hear. You make the leper clean. All of those miracles that Christ performed, it should have told these hard-hearted vipers, that's what Christ calls them, understand that Jesus was exactly who he says he is. 
And as we talked a little bit last week, you know, there are people today that, that says, well, if Christ were to come, some would say we'd kill him again. There's others that say, well, if God would just show himself real, if God would just do something here on earth, everybody would believe. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? Because all mankind would do is they'd try to contrive of another way to put him to death. Because that is the bent and brokenness and the fall of mankind. Christ says, leave her alone. A bunch of people are there because they want to see Lazarus. Because they heard he was dead. He was dead. He was in the tomb. Not, was, not only was he in the tomb, he'd been there three days. And when Christ said, roll the, let him out, uh, open it up, what did they say? No, it's, it, by now, it would smell bad. Don't, don't do that. So they knew. And here they knew. He was dead. He was dead, but he's alive. Look at verse 10. But the chief priests consulting that they might put Lazarus also to death again. He died. They wanted to kill him again. They didn't want to rejoice. This is an indication of just how hardened their heart had become. When Christ said, you're just a bunch of whited sepulchers, your dead man's bones and rottenness on the inside, outside, yeah, it's all whitewashed and got pretty flowers planted all around and, and it looks nice on the outside, but on the inside, it's not so nice. Christ said, you're open, you're whited sepulchers. You're vipers. And you can see why he would call them that. He was a man that was alive and people were seeing him, and they were believing. Well, if, jump over to John chapter 11. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, but John chapter 11. This was after Lazarus had been brought back to life. Then many of the Jews, verse 45 of John 11, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. These were the temple spies. These were the tattletales. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do, what do we? What do we do? For this man does many miracles. Folks, they understood he did miracles. They understood there were the signs. They understood that he had done things that no mere man could do. They had seen him do all of those things. So what do we do? Verse 48, if we leave him alone... All men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Rome's not going to stand for this. The government's not going to stand for this. Oh, we're going to lose our position in society. We're going to lose our position. We can't have that. 
Forget the fact that he's proven himself to be Israel's Messiah and the one that we're preaching about and talking about. We can't have that. Verse 49, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You don't know anything. You don't know anything. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. But this he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for that nation. Folks, that was the Holy Spirit using the position of high priest to tell all those gathered there the truth. So they are without excuse. It was just because of the evilness, the wickedness of their heart, including this high priest, because this is the one that's going to slap Christ a little bit later on. You don't know anything at all. This Jesus is going to die for the nation. And not, verse 52, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Everything that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied and discussed and had talked about, Christ was going to fulfill and this high priest that the religious leader of that day was verifying that truth to these people. What do they do? Do they go, wow, boy, did we miss it? Did we misunderstand? What are we thinking? Lord, we're sorry. Let's repent. Let's do what we need to do to get right with God because here is the true Messiah. This is the promised one. Did they do that? Look at verse 53. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. Talk about wickedness of heart. And here in verse chapter 12, verse 11, or verse 10, they're wanting to put Lazarus to death also because he verifies that Jesus of Nazareth was exactly who he said he is, Israel's Messiah. Verse 12. On the next day. Now, the way I count, if six days before the Passover he came to Bethany, if that's nine days before the Passover, or if, that, if, if that's six days before the Passover, that makes that Nisan the ninth. Is my math correct? If the next day, if the next day, much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they, so they, they were there for the Passover. That was one of the laws that everybody had to come. If it's the next day, what day is this? The 10th. Nisan the 10th. What did we just read took place on Nisan the 10th? The Lamb. What we have in this triumphant entry into Jerusalem is the God of heaven presenting himself as that sacrificial lamb without blemish to be sacrificed for my sake, 
and for your sake. You see how consistent the scriptures are? You see how they flow together? You see how they're so meaningful that God did not leave anything to chance? Verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king comes sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that were was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. And for this cause the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And what did the Pharisees and the Sadducees start doing? Taking counsel how they might kill him. But the significance of him riding in was here was God himself presenting himself on the absolute perfect day when the lamb was to be chosen, God is saying here, I have chosen a lamb for you. Here is the lamb. Here is the perfect lamb without blemish. You want a lamb for Passover. Christ is our Passover lamb. Chosen on the 10th day of Nisan. And next week, we're going to see exactly what transpires on Preparation Day. You know what all transpired on Preparation Day? Come next Sunday, we're going to talk about it. Because there's a lot of stuff that takes place, including the crucifixion. And including the lamb being the lamb dying at the specified time that the Passover lamb was to be slaughtered. At 3 o'clock, there was a signal for that Passover lamb to be slaughtered. And it was exactly at that time that Christ cries with a loud voice, you got to come next week. Either that or study it this week. The glorious truth of what, what Christ accomplishes on my behalf on your behalf, on the world's behalf on that day. God's precious treasure, God's precious lamb dying for my sin and for your sin.